0: Speaking of blessings, the title of the message this morning is The Blessing of Discipline and Repentance. The Blessings of Discipline and Repentance. Some people are going, that's not much of a blessing, Pastor. Well, you'll find out in a minute it is. See so if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians. We're back there again. We're doing that, um... I found this uh, post online from a gentleman, and he wrote A friend once called a, a few house painters to his house to do some work, and he wanted them to paint his porch. And after a few hours, the, the house painters came back for their payment because they were done. And before leaving, they told my friend that they had enjoyed painting his car, but it is not really a Porsche. <laughs> Some of y'all will get that on the way home, I guess. Oh. That's one of them dad jokes, I know. Or as I like to call them, one of those AW jokes. But, uh... <laughs> All right. Today we're back in 2 Corinthians. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. I'll be reading out of the New King James. And it says this. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech towards you, great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we come to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry though only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world, it produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, in all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the holy scriptures, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds. Lord, I ask that you would help me to speak boldly and with truth this morning. Lord, we ask that by your words we may be changed, that we may leave different than when we came, all of us, including myself, Lord. Make us new, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's life principle, a true Christian is trained by God's discipline and renewed through repentance. A true Christian is trained by God's discipline and renewed through repentance. Well, the first question that you have to ask yourself is, when you come to this scripture, is are you trained by God's discipline? Well, let's look back at verse 2, and I'm going to read this out of a slightly different version. It's the Berean Standard Bible, and it reads this way. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you so occupy our hearts that we live and die together with you. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. and all our troubles, my joy overflows. For when we arrived in Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were pressed from every direction. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he had received from you. He told us about your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced all the more. In this passage, Paul reminds the Corinthians of who he is by reminding them of his deeds and his character while he was among them. And while he wrote the letters. You know, as the false teachers and the false prophets, they were still in their midst during this time, but, and they were still stirring up trouble, but you know what happened? A lot of them repented. When it comes to being human, we find that we are innately human, aren't we? Meaning, we're born in sin, and we have a bent towards sin. That's called iniquity. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have a sin nature. The sin nature is always something that we will be contending with and fight against as Christians. A lot of people will say, well, I'm tired of fighting. Well, the Bible says, do not grow weary in well-doing. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says this, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore run thus not with uncertainty... Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. So what does this mean? Well, number one, we find that in the Corinthian church and even in the church today that there are false teachers and false teachers like to separate you from other things and from other good teachings in order that you run after them instead of after God. And how do they do it? Well, we find a lot of things that they did then, they do now. You ever heard the term, there's nothing new under heaven and earth? Same things. How do they do it? Well, as an example, they say things like, God's given me a special anointing or a special empowerment. You see, they want you to believe that they have something that you can't get from anyone else. The first seeds of doubt against a true teacher is planted right in those words. You can only get it from this person. If the person is the founding pastor or teacher, a popular teacher, as, as Paul was, Paul was the founding pastor, he was the founding teacher, and he was popular because of it, and what does the false prophet do? Well, the false prophet starts to say things that run the other guy into the ground. He may say, uh, for example, Paul was good for the time, but he doesn't have all the things that I do. He may say God has pulled back his hand from brother so-and-so. He may also say things like, look at the miracles around me, that that other teacher doesn't have that, only I do. However, we find his so-called miracles, they're, they're not real. They're either psychosomatic or they're demonic, one or the other, and possibly both. It's especially insidious because now he compounds the teachings with feelings. You see, it's a known fact that if I can make you feel good, you will trust me more and more. If I can make you feel good, you will put your trust in me and not in God. We find this a lot happens in bigger churches where all of a sudden, the pastor either fails or passes away or he leaves And the church is decimated. There's nobody left. Were they following God or were they following a man? They were following a man. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we discussed the abuse of the Corinthians. Uh, The Corinthians were either involved in or they were pretty much duped by. What's my point in going back to this? Well, there's such a thing as what's called spiritual and emotional manipulation and abuse. And we find that a lot in today's society. You see, it's not new. It was there in the beginning. And those that are guilty of it will end up wronging you. They will corrupt your good moral character. I know of a story right now in the Christian Post, of, and this is just one of many stories that you can find, of a pastor who used his position in his megachurch to get women to sleep with him. And he did it for years. And he was only recently caught. Well, how can something like this happen, you might ask? Well, number one that a false teacher will do is they will twist the Scriptures. Number two, they'll create an emotional attachment. And they do this by using empathy or sympathizing with the people in their hurts and their pain. And that is a good thing unless you're doing it in a, for a bad reason. And number three, just by the fact of being a pastor, you're already in a position where people put their guard down. And so rather than realizing this as a, as a pastor and, and wanting to help them, they realize this and they want to... Take advantage of them. I had a good pastor, or at least I thought, who was a Southern Baptist pastor. And when I took my first pastorate, he said to me, Joe, what you got to do is, are you ready for this? Make them think all your ideas are their ideas and stroke their ego so so that you'll have them eating out of the palm of your hand. Does that sound godly to you? that's not godly that's the same tactics and techniques that false teachers employ i was shocked to say the least i had another pastor call me and he said joe what you got to do is, is hit your knees and stay there and you know what he was right got to hit your knees and stay there There are people inside and outside the church universal, not this church necessarily, but the church universal, who use these techniques to get what they want out of you. The same techniques that the world is using, they will use against you. They will use against your good moral character. They will turn you away from proper teaching. But what does Paul say to the people who are emotionally caught up with these others, with those Christians who now run him into the ground? He says, look at their end result and now look at me. He says, he has wronged no one. He has corrupted no one. And he has exploited no one. He's bold with it. And Paul can look at this church and tell them he's proud of them. He can look at the church and tell them that when he is when in times of distress, he thinks of them and what God has done in them. And he feels joy when he thinks of them. This means that when Paul wrote them before... Remember when we were in 1 Corinthians that most of them repented and straightened themselves out. You see, they strive to put themselves into submission to Christ, not to Paul, but to Christ when they were called out on their shenanigans. And yes, I said shenanigans. And I know that may be an older word to some of y'all and you ain't heard it in a while, but that's what it was. It was shenanigans. And unfortunately today, many Christians want to be spoon-fed. They like their false teachers. They like their ears tickled and told they're good people, they're lovely people, and there's nothing wrong with them. They just have to think positively. Why? Why would pastors result to this emotional manipulation? Why would they stoop that low? Well, I can tell you why. Because if they don't, Some of these people will just go down to the church down the street and get their affirmations from that church, get their ears tickled from there. It isn't easy being disciplined by God and and the ministers that God's placed above you. It isn't easy letting God discipline you from a minister. It's not. I have been there more times than I haven't. Okay, maybe that's a slight exaggeration. Then again, maybe not. (laughs) But it's hard to endure discipline. Because nobody likes discipline. When, think back when you were a child. I know for some of us that, that's hard, but that's okay. But think back when you were a child. When mama and daddy disciplined you. Did it feel good at the time? No, but you were trained by it. You were done right by it. Hebrews 12, 7 says, endure suffering as discipline." God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If we go down to verse 11 in Hebrews 12, it says, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields a harvest of what? Righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. You see, people today don't know what discipline is. They really don't. We really... The, the next generations have, have no idea. Why? Because their parents don't discipline their children. So, what makes you think that they are going to endure spiritual discipline from God? They won't. They'll just go down to the next church and get their ears tickled and they'll be happy and fun there. Or they'll stop going whatsoever. Let me ask you a question When was the last time God disciplined you? Has it been a while? Has God ever disciplined you? If not, then you're illegitimate. That's what the scripture says. According to that same passage we just read out of. If you've never been disciplined by God, then you aren't his. You never were. You're illegitimate. You're not a child of the Most High. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means it's time for you to repent and get right with God. That's what it means. It's time for you to get saved. Let me tell you a little story little illustration here i got a new shirt and i put it on and i went to my wife and i I said amanda does this make me look fatter because it had horizontal stripes and if you know anything about horizontal stripes they don't make people look that great sometimes and i'm already fat so i asked does this make me look fatter and she said of course not it's not the stripes it's your lack of discipline and self-control that makes you look fatter that's a joke, by the way. Don't go, don't go scolding her later. Do you know how to discipline a pet rock? Do you know how to discipline a pet rock? You hit rock bottom. Yeah, I know, that was bad. Next question. Are you renewed by repentance, though? Are you renewed by repentance? Let's look at our scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Although I did regret it. I now see that my letter caused you sorrow, but only for a short time. And now I rejoice, not because you were made sorrowful, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you felt the sorrow that God had intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Consider what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what zeal, what vindication. And every way you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did wrong or the one who was harmed, but rather that your earnestness on our behalf would be made clear to you in the sight of God. God will use other people to bring about his discipline. We know this. And a lot of times he'll bring it about through, I don't know if you've ever ever had this happen to you, but I have many times. Um, especially through one of my children who's very, catches everything I do. Dad, that was kind of hypocritical, don't you think? You ever had that happen? Or they'll say something innocent and you realize, ooh, I just said something pretty stupid. I need to repent. What I just just did was kind of wrong. Like, for example, have you ever been in a car? And those of you that don't get angry in a car, well, bless your heart. Because here in Florida, it's hard to not get angry sometimes. Especially when it rains. It's like everybody lost their minds. They don't know how to drive. Just joking there. (laughs) It can be. Uh, It can be the truth. But... Um, I get very angry sometimes and I just go gosh darn people get out of the way and that's exactly what I say gosh darn people because I speak weirdly as compared to the world and uh, somebody from the back seat or next to me will say should you be that mad there's something that will remind me should I be that mad no I shouldn't I repent I confess my sin God's still working on that I shouldn't be that mad. I should be like, well, bless their heart. (laughs) Somebody went same thing. (laughs) It can be. (laughs) All right. Totally lost where I was on that. I killed the rabbit and brought it home and ate it. (sighs) All right. Well, God uses other people. We know that. For the person just coming to Christ, when they feel that sorrow, remember when you first came to Christ and you felt that sorrow, you felt that pain, and you repented? All that sorrow is washed away. And there's a change that happens to you in that moment. There's a change that happens. And that sorrow is replaced with joy. The joy of your salvation For the believer who's been saved, it means we can come to repentance and continue on with our life that has been changed by God. We can continue to walk in salvation that has been imparted to us. Scripture says, walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But what happens to a person who has worldly sorrow? Remember, Paul said there was a worldly sorrow there. Someone who either doesn't know Christ or is caught up in the, in the sorrow or the depression of this world, what happens to them? Well, they can end up in actual physical death because they have despaired of life, as the Scripture says. They can end up just going through the motions of life, but kind of like a zombie, never, never really feeling anything, never knowing true peace and joy in Christ again because they never repented, they never came to a place of repentance. Folks, don't let worldly sorrow consume you. Be willing to be disciplined by the Lord. Learn your lesson, repent, and move on. That's what I was always told by the scriptures. Learn your lesson, repent, and move on. Isn't that what we tell our children when we discipline them as well? Learn your lesson, ask forgiveness, move on. I think a lot of Christians, myself included, have a hard time sometimes with that whole process and we need to rely more on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit to allow a supernatural repentance to take hold so that we can experience peace and joy and have the ability to move on in Christ. You see, repentance sometimes isn't just, well, Lord, I did it again, let's go. That's not repentance. True repentance comes supernaturally. And some people will say, well, that's not supernatural. Well, yes, it is. Because it comes from God. Lord, I know that I did wrong. Help me to never do it again. Now, I confess it. And we know that he forgives us. We receive it. And then we say, okay, Lord, let's walk on. Do you see the difference in attitude? There's a difference there. So what are the benefits of godly sorrow? Well, did you know he gives us a list right here? Let's look at it. He says it produces earnestness. What you say that you believe, you truly believe deep down inside you. You have no need to lie because you are earnest with your thoughts, words, and deeds. It produces earnestness. True true godly sorrow also produces a deep desire to keep your testimony clear. To make sure what is said about you and even others is, is the truth and all of its ugly glory and beautiful goodness. And with that comes the desire to shut down gossip and all of its ugliness. Because we know gossip can come from poor testimonies or people getting bad names. You ever heard of that? Godly indignation. Godly indignation is another one it produces. When, you, when you're working your way in your salvation, and you're working your way through sanctification, getting all that cleaned out, you and the Holy Spirit, you get mad when you see the world and, and other people that are steeped in sin and they have, they have no compulsions about it, they're okay with it. Especially in the church. The indignation is not towards the individual, it's toward the sin which is broken fellowship with God. Because you know that they're not in fellowship with God. And then you look at yourself and you say, am I in fellowship with God? I want to be sure. Because if you're in unrepentant sin, you're out of fellowship with God until you repent and make it right between you and God. Godly concern for others. Godly concern for others. You know, there's a a type of concern out there that's not godly. It's worldly. It says, I'm concerned for you because of what I can get out of you. That's a wrong type of concern. It's fake. But you see... True godly sorrow produces concern, godly concern for others. When other brothers and sisters in Christ are hurting, there is a deep desire to see them better. Not because of what you can get from them, but because you love them. Whether that that getting better is physical, mental, spiritual, it's a concern to such an extent that whatever you can do for them, you want to do it without hesitation, without complaint, without compulsion. You want to. And it produces zeal in us. It produces zeal in us. Godly sorrow produces zeal in us. You ever heard the term zealot? Yeah, we all have. Well, that term's usually associated with negativity. But in this case, it's about zeal for God. Zeal for being in His presence. Zeal for worshiping Him. Zeal for living correctly for Him. It's zeal for the things of God especially for the sharing of the gospel. You can't wait to share and see people taken care of because that's the ultimate way that they can be taken care of, and that is by salvation. But it also produces zeal to see them taken care of physically, mentally, and emotionally. When was the last time you reaped any of these godly benefits? When was the last time that through repentance your earnestness, your clarity, your indignation, your concern for others, and zeal was renewed before God following true repentance of your sin. You see, godly sorrow produces those things. So if there's godly sorrow and I'm repentant, then those things should start to take hold again. And I should be walking hand in hand in fellowship with God. Folks, don't wait on repenting. When you sin, immediately repent. Scripture says... When you sin, immediately repent. Why? What if I forget? Just giving that blanket, Lord, forgive me of all my sins today. Well, that doesn't do anything for you because you've never thought about it. You've never said, God, I did this, this, and this. Help me to never do it again. All you've said is, God, forgive me. And you go out and you do the same thing again. Immediately repent before God, even if you've got to do it under your breath. I can't tell you how many times I've had to do that growing up in Christ. How many times I still do it when I say something stupid. And I'm a man, so ladies, you know I say something stupid. Probably on a regular basis, especially to my wife, right? I got a chuckle out of that one. Some of y'all just kind of looking around. The men especially. Just kidding. Don't wait on repentance. Ask for forgiveness immediately. And how do we know that we'll get forgiveness? How do we know that as Christians, that we can get forgiveness for our sin? The scripture tells us that, but there's one scripture that is so poignant, so to the point. I'm going to share it with you. It's First John chapter 1, verse 9. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say some unrighteousness. It says all unrighteousness. That cleansing is what we call sanctification. It means the cleaning up of yourself. It means no longer looking at that sin and just saying, Lord, forgive me all my sins. Turn around and doing it. No, it means cleansing. We no longer do it. Why? Because we love Jesus. Because he's changing us day by day, moment by moment. Are you having that experience today? That's the question you've got to ask yourself as the ladies come to sing. Are you having that experience today? Are you being trained by discipline? Are you allowing repentance to change you? Day by day, Christians, are you allowing that? In a moment here, we're going to stand and sing, and I'd like you to examine your hearts in that question. Are you being trained, and are you being cleansed through repentance, through the power of repentance that Christ has given us through His blood? Those of you that may not be a Christian, either by online, or, and I know we've got some watching live, and we've got some that go back, and I know that we've got people who listen to the podcast, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that once you leave this world you're going to wake up in heaven because if you're not you need to be sure you need to get sure you need to be where the scripture says how do I get to heaven real simple believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior believe that he was born of a virgin For three years, he did signs, wonders, and miracles. And then he went to a cross to pay your debt. Not his own, because he didn't have any. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice for your sin. But you see, he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day, proclaiming victory over death, hell, and the grave. And that's our joy. That's our hope right there. We can get excited about that. Can you? You see, you may say, well, preacher, I like what you're saying, but, you know, I believe there's many ways to heaven. Well, I got to tell you, you're wrong because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Not by a church. Not by a religion. Not by a church pew I donated 30 years ago. No one comes unto the Father but by Jesus Christ being their personal Lord and Savior. Period. That's it. Daddy's coattails ain't going to get you there. Only Jesus. If you don't know Him and you're in this room, you can get to know Him today. You can say, Lord, I have sinned. Please forgive me come into my heart be my master lord and savior and folks if that's too long it's not what you say but the intent of your heart you could say jesus help me i turn it all over to you and you'll be saved in that instant in that instant that's right as we stand and sing the invitation hymn. If you'd like special prayer as well, I'm up here, I can pray with you. The Bible says, "When well, one can put a thousand a flight, two can put ten thousand. If two or more agree touching anything, it will be given to them. So we can pray for you up here as well. And grab somebody near you if you don't want to come up here, and they can pray with you too. As long as they're a Christian, you got the promises of Scripture. Also, if you'd like to join this church by letter, statement, or baptism, you can do that at this time as well. Ladies, as Brent. we sing. Grab that hymnal and turn to page 288.